The Terrifying Lies Podcast, with music and stories by Craig Nibo. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Terrifying Lies Podcast. I am Craig Nibo, your host. If you love the podcast, I encourage you to share it with your friends. Spread the word, post about it on your social networks, and let's see if we can draw more souls into this auditorium of atmosphere that awakens an abyss of agonizing apparitions from the abominable hole of ancient dungeons. <laughs> there we go. What I mean to say is, invite your friends to this thrilling party. They are welcome here. For today's journey, I give you the story of a demon with an appetite for something less tangible than blood and more exacting than fortune, fame, or free will. Paul Jeunesse first published this story as part of his Crimson Pact Anthology, a fine collection of dark yarns. I'll see you on the other side. I now present Cheridu, written and performed by Craig Nibo. The man in the dark suit felt most comfortable in the shadows. He took the twilight stairs up to the apartment building one at a time. Business traffic had ebbed to a trickle, and most of the sun had paled away, leaving only slivers of purple light. He mounted the landing just outside the building. Nestor Vitrov, the building's supervisor, had recently issued a notice to all tenants. Anyone found leaving the entrance unlocked will be required to sit before the owner's board, where consequences will be considered, anything from fees to eviction. Seated in the innermost part of the city, the tenement had been robbed twice, and in the aftermath, Nestor had found himself at the end of the whip, nearly losing his job after the second offense. Locked doors never kept the man in the dark suit out, he pushed his fedora back, shifted his attaché from one hand to the other, and ran his right hand, his magic hand, over the lock. The tumbler clicked. He grabbed the brass handle and drew the door open. He felt better indoors. He'd had more sun than he liked out in broad daylight between buildings during his route for the day. He didn't stop at every building, only the ones that drew him, the ones in which he could smell food. And there was certainly food in this tenement. He paused at a bank of mailboxes. He stopped to read the names printed on the plastic adhesive labels. He closed his eyes and ran his fingers over the mailboxes, issuing a low and harmonic hum as he worked from one name to another. His fingers stopped on a name, Dwayne Carlyle. He smiled. Without thinking about it, the tip of his tongue emerged from the orifice of his lips and licked from side to side leaving a nearly translucent gum on the sphincter of his mouth. He touched the lock on the mailbox. The tumbler clicked. He opened the small compartment and took its contents, a handful of letters, mostly junk mail. One of the letters caught his attention. The loopy writing had the lilt of a woman's hand. The letter emitted the faint smell of perfume, something cheap, perhaps from a low-end department store. Can I help you, sir? A voice came from up the hall, Russian accent. The man in the dark suit looked up from his handful of mail. You must ring in to be buzzed into building. 
The man in the dark suit cocked his head to the side. He watched the Russian enter the hallway from a room several yards away. The Russian, standing at least a head taller than the man in the dark suit, wore a coverall. He stopped in the middle of the hallway and folded his arms over his chest. The man in the dark suit tucked the letters into an inner pocket under his lapel. He reached out and put one finger on the wall. He walked toward the Russian that way, dragging his finger along. Hello, Mr. Nestor, the man in the dark suit said. The Russian's posture of resolve weakened. How do you know me? The man in the dark suit smiled and touched Nestor on the chest. I am not here to see you. I'm here to see an old friend. The man in the dark suit drew one of the letters from his pocket and held it up for Nestor's inspection. I am here to see Dwayne Carlyle, Unit 300C. It would seem that, uh, Mr. Uh, the man in the dark suit freshened his smile but didn't offer his name. Er, sir, that you are personal friends with Mr. Carlyle? We are intimately related, the man in the dark suit said. Very well. I will leave you to your visit. Perhaps you procure key from your friend, Mr. Carlyle, for next visit, so as not to cause confusion. I don't expect to return, the man in the dark suit said. That is, unless I should find reason to visit you on some future occasion. Nestor stepped back from the man in the dark suit. He is not necessary. Mr. Carlyle's unit is on third floor. Should you need me, I will be in office. Nestor thumbed over his shoulder to the door he had come from. Thank you, Nestor. You run a tight ship. Nestor backed away from the man in the dark suit, not daring to flash his eyes away from the little man for even an instant. The man in the dark suit raised a pale hand and waved at Nestor with his slender fingers. Nestor turned away and entered his office. He closed the door behind him. The Terrifying Lies podcast will return after this short commercial break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Terrifying Lies podcast. Dwayne Carlyle sat at the only window, a small one, in his studio apartment. He looked out into the dwindling day, till a moment ago a pigeon had been perched on the sill just outside, bobbing its head, perhaps resting for a moment before pushing off to its next stop. Dwayne didn't care when the pigeon finally flew off into the sky. He wasn't looking at the pigeon. He wasn't looking at anything. His eyes had been aimed at the window for the better part of an hour, but the two holes in his head remained vacant. He had taught himself to sit in that chair and stare at nothing for hours on end, at least when he couldn't sleep. When the door swung open, Dwayne didn't look around. Somewhere in the back of his mind he heard someone enter, but he didn't care who the visitor was or what business he might have. Dwayne just wanted to sit and look at the window. You're not looking so well, the man in the dark suit said as he closed the door behind him. 
He was used to entering people's homes without protest, even when they were in the very rooms he entered. The man in the dark suit crossed the room and stood in front of Duane. He put his hands on his hips and looked down at Duane. He cocked his head to the side and continued looking down at Duane. Just being in the presence of Duane Carlyle brought a twist of the ancient energy. The man in the dark suit felt it in his navel, the last place where he'd been attached physically to any source of unconditional love. But the man in the dark suit's mother had died so long ago, and with her, any source of love, let alone unconditional love. The man in the dark suit closed his eyes and raised his chin a couple of inches, as if tasting the air. He took in a long breath and held it. His heart rate climbed by a few beats per minute. A smile came over his face. He opened his eyes and rested a hand on Duane's shoulder. How long have you been sitting here? Duane's eyes rolled in their sockets, looked up at the man in the dark suit for a moment. They rolled back to the window. The man in the dark suit raised a finger as if he had come up with a brilliant idea. Coffee's what you need, my friend. He left Duane and went to the kitchen area of the studio. He fumbled through a few cupboards until he found a can of instant coffee. He looked for filters in a few drawers. He found a gun inside the third drawer he opened. The man in the dark suit didn't know much about guns, only that they killed people. He smiled as he picked up the weapon and inspected it. He looked down the barrel and at the front of the cylinder. All six chambers were pregnant with ammunition. He put the gun on the counter and got to work making coffee. How long you been sitting there by the window? Duane didn't respond. The man in the dark suit had become accustomed to such behavior. He learned over many years how to enter the homes of people like Duane Carlyle without protest, how to help himself to some of the luxuries in those homes. Mainly, he learned how to help himself to the energy that came from people like Duane Carlyle. The man in the dark suit had lost track of how long he'd been around. Long time by the reckoning of the average man. But he remembered his childhood. He remembered how even at a young age he had known how to draw strength from the energy of people like Duane Carlyle. As a child, he'd coined a name for the type of energy that had given him such elation. He'd called it Cheridu. Even now, he still used the word that he had coined as a child. He'd sensed Cheridu coming from the direction of Duane Carlyle's apartment since he had come into town. There were other sources of Cheridu in this city. There were always sources of Cheridu in every city. And the man in the dark suit planned on making many stops. But for the moment, Duane Carlyle sat on his plate. The man in the dark suit poured a cup of coffee. He picked up the mug and the revolver and moved back to Duane's side. He put the coffee on a small table next to Duane's overstuffed chair and sat down. The man in the dark suit turned the pistol in his hands, running a finger over it, feeling its texture. Amazing inventions, firearms, he said. Seems that anything worth accomplishing by mankind has been accomplished by use of guns. Duane looked at the man in the dark suit. Something was missing from the stranger's complexion. Everything technically sat in place. There was a mouth, a nose, and two eyes seated above a pair of sharp cheekbones, but a kind of vacancy looked back through those eyes. The man in the dark suit lacked something deep and essential. The two men sat in the waning light, which oozed in through the window for a silent moment. What do you want? Duane finally asked. It speaks. The man in the dark suit said and let out a pleasant laugh. I just came for a visit. I visit lots of people. I have a, a kind of roster 
that I keep. A list of people who need visiting. And I hope you can forgive me for saying that you look and smell, I'm afraid, like you could use a good visit. I don't need anything, Dwayne said and looked out the window. Not true. Everyone needs something. Even if that something is nothing more than a little reminder of what is important and what isn't important. I'm not following you, Dwayne said. The man in the dark suit shifted his posture from this way to that. He tried one of the armrests on the cheap chair, but the position felt too pretentious for the delicate work ahead. He resigned himself to interweaving his slender fingers and resting them in his lap. I only came to talk to you. Talk is cheap. That's what they say, whoever they are. But they are always wrong in saying it. From my experience, one can get quite a lot done with nothing more than talk. Quite a lot indeed. You should try the coffee. might help you to feel better. Nothing will make me feel better. The man in the dark suit's fingers twitched ever so slightly. He felt his heart rate speed. He resisted an impulse to close his eyes and smile. He took a moment to ensure that he could keep his voice level. He spoke. How did it start all this? The dying light cast a stark shadow over the man in the dark suit's face, a shadow that lengthened by the moment. As Duane explored the man's face, he realized that he couldn't put an age to the man. He could be 30 or 60. I'm not catching your meaning. The man in the dark suit aimed a finger at Duane, pointing at parts of his body. All this, you're sitting and staring. Your withdrawal from life, friends, and society. You know nothing about me, Duane said. It all started with pictures, didn't it? Duane sat up a little straighter. He moved his hands from his knees to the armrests of the overstuffed, overused chair. He slanted his face away from the man in the dark suit but kept his eyes on him. What pictures? Let's not be coy now. I'm talking about the dirty pictures. The ones of women doing things. I'm not going to listen to this, Dwayne said. But you listen to it every day, don't you, Dwayne? You listen to it every moment of every day. You listen to the voice inside you that always has something to say about what you have done and who you are. Get out, Dwayne said, but his voice lacked authority, and Dwayne knew that the man in the dark suit wouldn't leave. In a way, Duane had been expecting the man in the dark suit to come. There was something familiar in the man's manner of speech, in his sensibility, in the way he carried himself, in the way he sat. But mostly there was something in the man's eyes that assured Duane that the man would stay, that Duane would allow him to stay. I noticed something when I came in. The man in the dark suit said. He stood up, folded his hands behind his back, and walked to a credenza standing against an opposite wall. On the credenza, two framed photographs lay face down. Dust had settled, both on the backs of the photographs and on the surface of the credenza. The man in the dark suit picked up the photographs and walked back to Duane. He put the photographs on the end table. Duane looked away from them, covered his eyes with one loosely balled fist. The man in the dark suit clenched one of his fists and took in a deep breath, closing his eyes, taking in every ounce of the moment. His navel pulsed with the intake of energy. He regained his composure and crouched down next to Duane. Great likenesses, I say. And that means a lot coming from me. I know people, Duane. 
And whoever took these photos has a knack at capturing the essence of what it means to be human, to be real. Would you look at those smiles? He gestured toward the photographs with an open hand. One was of a mid-aged woman, beautiful without effort. She stood on the beach, the wind whipping her hair back. The photograph could have easily represented a snapshot of one of the woman's happiest moments. Two children stood against an old truck in the other photo, a girl and a boy. The girl, older, wore a straw cowboy hat, rested one hand on the boy's shoulder. Both of the children exuded innocence and warmth, qualities that could only be found in the best of family circumstances. The man in the dark suit admired the photos for another moment and then looked back at Duane. My friend, why will you not look at these photographs? Why, anyone would find them beautiful. Duane put the balls of his palms over his eyes. Dampness emerged. Oh, I think I'm beginning to see, the man in the dark suit said. He straightened the photographs on the end table, making sure they rested plainly in Duane's point of view. He moved over the little table across from Duane and sat down in his chair. Who are they, Duane? Please stop. This one is your wife, isn't she? The man in the dark suit pointed at the photograph of the middle-aged woman. She's beautiful, you know. And this one, he pointed at the other photograph, must be your children. Angelic. Purely angelic. Why, I would venture to say any man will be proud as a punch to have such children. After all, it's proud things that lift base men upward. What do you want? Duane asked, brushing the moisture from his eyes with his palms. The man in the dark suit touched his own lips with the tip of his slender finger as he looked at the tears. He took in a desperate breath and opened his mouth slightly as if sipping at the very air in the room. Tell me because I'm curious and because I just want to hear you say it. Where did it start? The dirty pictures? Did you stay up late after your wife, Adriana, I think her name was, went to sleep? The man in the dark suit ran a finger along the top of the frame of the photo of Duane's wife. Did you get online? Did you do web searches with all those despicable words? Duane rocked forward in his chair and buried his face in his hands. The man in the dark suit rolled his eyes back in his skull and took in a deep breath raising his hands in random pying motions. Why can't you leave me alone? Duane sobbed. The man in the dark suit calmed down in a series of slow measures, then rested his hands on the end table between him and Duane. You know, I think the young ones, the ones coming up today, they know it for what it is. They've been warned of its power, particularly over men. They might even be better prepared for it. But you... With all this fancy technology, the man in the dark suit gestured over his shoulder at a computer. The thing was useless. Its screen shattered, as if someone had slammed it with a baseball bat. Oh, dear. You've punished that poor, innocent thing. Duane took a brief glance through his fingers at the broken computer. Why, that little old thing with all its fancy ornaments and answers had nothing to do with all this. The man in the dark suit gestured toward Duane as if saying... Behold the terrible beast. But as for you, you are not so innocent, are you, Duane? Duane looked out the window, his cheeks wet with tears. You know, even the most monumental changes in the world started small, with the details one would observe. 
And as for change, your life is oh so different now than when these pictures were taken. The man in the dark suit touched the frames of the photographs sitting on the end table. Duane raised a folded finger to his lips. His eyes welled up fresh. He looked away. How long did it take for you to graduate from dirty pictures to the real thing, Duane? To flesh and bone. Get out, Duane said, but it came out as more of a whimper than a command. How long did you take licks of the platter before you went for the whole feast? You know the names of every strip club in this town. Am I wrong, Duane? Duane leaned hard against the window. His cheek flattened against the glass. He closed his eyes and tried to take some comfort in the cool. The man in the dark suit stood up, brushed his lapels straight. In the end, you found your feast, your drink, your meat, didn't you? I believe it came with a name. I believe that name was Anjali. But Anjali was no angel. That's for sure. Dwayne rocked forward out of his chair onto his knees. He balled up his fists and pushed them against his eyes, as if trying to cork up the well of emotion threatening to break free. The man in the dark suit moved over to the counter and picked up the revolver. He pulled back the hammer and spun the cylinder. It clicked as it went round. Dwayne winced at the sound. Did you know she was a mother of two? Anjali, I'm talking about. Did you know that she had a fondness for the needle, for the spoon, and for the flick of a bick? How do you know all this? Dwayne asked, his voice little more than a murmur. The man in the dark suit moved to the window. He crouched down and with a finger under Dwayne's chin, raised him up and looked into his eyes. I know more than I have the right to know. It's always been that way. Fact is, I visited Anjali the better part of a year ago. Some would say I helped her out of a bad situation. That's what I do, you know, help people out of bad situations. You're not here to help, Dwayne said and looked away. The man in the dark suit grabbed Dwayne's chin and whipped his head around until they were eye to eye. Something came unhinged in the man in the dark suit's stare, as if the black of his pupils spilled out to fill most of his gaping orbs. You look at me when I talk to you, you trash-eating dog. You deserve to hear every word I speak to you. Your children don't have a father. Your wife? Well, you swallowed her soul every time you visited Anjali and the others. You took a piece of her, didn't you, every time you looked at the dirty pictures and whacked off. Dwayne, there are good men in this world. But you are not one of them. The man in the dark suit pushed Dwayne's chin away and stood up. He spun the cylinder in the revolver again. Are you going to kill me? Dwayne sobbed. The man in the dark suit laughed. <laughs> Don't you know, Dwayne? Don't you get it? You're already dead. You've been dead sitting in this apartment for months. Nobody's missed you. Nobody's asked after you. The man in the dark suit put the revolver on the end table, crouched, and picked up one of Dwayne's hands. He inspected Dwayne's fingers for a moment, then placed Dwayne's hand on the grip of the revolver. All that's left, Dwayne, is one last painless formality. Some would say it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. 
You know, in your heart, that just isn't so. Because the problem lies in your heart. And as long as your heart keeps beating, the problem lives on. The man in the dark suit stood up and brushed his jacket smooth. Dwayne kept his hand on the revolver and his eyes on the ground. I've said my piece, all I came to say. The rest, Dwayne, is up to you. What happened to Angelie? Dwayne asked. Some problems persist. Some, how should I say it, vanish at the end of a rope, or the flick of a blade, or flash of a muzzle. Angelie's problems have ended. You're a bastard, Dwayne said. Who's a bastard, me? You and I both know that I am nothing but a bringer of truth. As for the bastard, which one of us in this room truly fits that description? Dwayne tried to push himself up, but failed. Kept one hand on the revolver, and the other flat on the floor, his eyes down. This is where I leave you, Dwayne. I know you have a lot to think about, so I'm going to go ahead and step out. Leave you to your peace. The man in the dark suit walked out of Dwayne's apartment. The Terrifying Lies podcast will return after this short commercial break. Terrifying Lies Podcast. Nestor heard footsteps come down the stairs. He backed out of view as the man in the dark suit made the landing and walked to the apartment building's exit. He watched the man in the dark suit open the door and pause just before walking outside. He waited a five count. A bang came from upstairs, startling Nestor. The man in the dark suit arched back took in an eager breath. He seemed to lose his balance for a moment and stopped himself from falling by putting a hand on the wall. He took in several more snatches of air. Nestor thought he heard elation in the man's gasps. Finally, the man in the dark suit regained his composure. He turned around and looked up the hall toward Nestor. Nestor began to back away but stopped, knowing that the man in the dark suit had spotted him. Later, Nestor blamed it on a trick of the light. But for a brief moment, he thought he saw the man in the dark suit's eyes go all the way black. The man stared at Nestor, sending cold along the line of his gaze. He raised a single finger and put it over his lips in the international sign of silence. Nestor backed away a couple of steps, then froze. The man in the dark suit walked out of the apartment building. Nestor watched the building door swing shut. He fumbled for his cell phone. But even as he dialed, he knew, in the back of his mind, that it was too late for Carlisle. The ambulance would come. He hoped, prayed even, that he would never see the man in the dark suit again. was a blackjack of a story for sure. You know, 99.9% .9 of the time I write stories and music for one solitary reason. To entertain. There's never an agenda. Cherry do, 
is the exception. The story was inspired by witnessing a train wreck. Years ago, I watched a good man, someone for whom I have real respect, ruin his life and lose his whole family. Pornography sat at the center of the whole debacle. On another occasion, a friend of mine disclosed to me his addiction to porn. He felt that he couldn't reach out for help. According to him, it seems there are different grades of addicts. Should an alcohol or drug addict kick the habit, there's plenty of support and understanding. As my friend said, they throw a parade. Not so for the porn addict. The addict of this terrible drug lives his life in shame and secrecy, even after finding a cure by undergoing programs and counseling. For the recovering porn addict, there is no parade. My friend compared his addiction to a demon. Cheridu literalizes this idea. Porn breaks up families, causes personal devastation, and degrades women. Suicide ideation blights the lives of addicted men and women. Sometimes an addict opts for the permanent solution to a temporary problem. When this happens, the world corrodes just a bit more. I have sympathy for my friend. I have sympathy for the addict. I hope you will have the same for your friends should they wear porn's shackles. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction or suicidal thoughts, it's important to seek professional help. Mental health professionals can provide support, guidance, and treatment options to help individuals overcome addiction and reduce the risk of suicidal ideation and behaviors. If nothing else, I'm in your corner. I'm rooting for you. So this story, Charidu, represents an example of the 0.01% of fiction that I write with an actual agenda. For today's song, I offer something brand new and composed specifically for today's story. Nobody wants the dark man to come knocking on his or her door. This song explains why. I now present Cheridu, composed and performed by me.
again on the other side of our little dip into the dark waters of dread, I feel remiss to part with you and only hope you will come back again for another visit. In parting, I leave this verse. Into the murky depths of horror's embrace, I took a dip, my soul a willing chase. Dreadful whispers and chilling touch. In the darkness, I found too much. As we part, I bid you this. Live well and come again. After all, you're my friend and you're welcome here. This has been the Terrifying Lies Podcast. Please, come again. You're welcome here. (laughs) 